doing, you're doing a lot of traveling these days. Yeah. Do you enjoy it still? Well, th- at this point, there's a kind of hyper-standardization, you know, at the way that the world, especially in a Western context, and now, you know, Asia and so on. And I've been a veteran DJ globalist for the last 15 years. Um, and in the last four to five years, there's been this hyper-standardization. Um, so when you say travel, I really like going to places like Antarctica or going to near the North Pole. Places with, that aren't, yeah, not, no, not tourist traps. Yeah, no, no Starbucks. Yeah. But um, at the same time, um, there is something to be said for the way that many cultures are in dialogue right now. Um, and I'm a big fan of this idea of hyper-global multicultural because it really, it just makes life a little more refreshing. I mean, like every possible ethnic group, every possible, you know, style of music, it's, it's eerie how much uh, the world has converged. Yeah, I mean, does that, in a way, does that doesn't that also take some of the charm out of out of it? I mean, if you Definitely. can go anywhere and ex- in some sense experience the same thing. Yeah, I mean, my, it's funny as an artist and composer and writer, a lot of the stuff I'm thinking about is like collage, you know. So sampling and that's that's our generation's vocabulary. Mm-hmm. So traveling gives you that vivid sense of going someplace. Whereas the, watching a postcard or a music video or whatever is never going to be able to do. But if you get there and you realize the entire place already looks like or sounds like, you know, yeah. what you've already seen on YouTube or whatever, it doesn't really... I think the next five to ten years, as video bandwidth gets cheaper and as real-time presence of cameras and, like, surveillance culture, all that stuff, travel is going to just be kind of one of those things where you just move into the picture. You're not really... It's not about original space anymore. You, you think people are just going to largely stop traveling altogether? No, not for a while. But because I think that we have too many of the patterns of the last couple centuries. Of people visit their families. People need to go and do things and so on. But video game culture, the role of the avatars and stuff like that, in, in like you know everything from Second Life to crazy video games like Borderlands to. You know, I see that is probably yeah. going to be people's experience of going to different spaces, um, and uh, it's it's the DJ kind of prediction. You heard it here first, <laughs> but you know, writers like William Gibson, uh, Bruce Sterling, Neil Stevenson, they got it. But we still need to really think about um, real time. You know, like that's like us sitting here in this park and seeing all this real life situation. There's no, it's timeless. It's priceless. But you're doing a lot of traveling for work, and I mean that's that in a sense is probably going to be cut out, right? From a lot of as far as I mean, for, certainly from my job, you know, I can see five, ten years from now, there not being that much value in me actually being there in person. Um, and I'm wondering if performances are going to be similar in that respect. I mean, you know, we've seen from a novelty perspective, at least, we've seen like you know the gorillas are a good example of somebody yeah. who really. They don't have to be there at all, right? You're just going to this spectacle. There's, um, if you go like five, five blocks that way, the Blue Man Group are there, mm-hmm. and that's you know that that's a uh, that's an example of um, like franchising. Yeah, the, and, but reality itself as a franchise. I mean, that's what's yeah. going to be. Um, everything follows that formula right now. It's like if you have a successful model, you should be able to replicate it, and it should be scalable. And at the same time. Um, that's why stuff like Tumblr has become wildly popular is because people are moving into a visual vocabulary for quotations of everything around <laughs> whatever their living experiences are. So, musically, yeah, you're right, man. You don't really need to go there. I think The Gorillas is a great example. And I just left um, Jay-Z's video 
where they they put word out through his Facebook and Twitter feed and through the app that he had downloaded, you know, and it was a, there was a line halfway around the block off of one day uh, notice, and you know, and they had half of the major art world figures from New York hanging out. I was actually I was I was I was had a thought experiment while I was sitting in front of. Um, in front of Best Buy, and I'm just bringing this up because two two guys just thumbed up at you. Did they just recognize you? Yeah, or yeah. Okay, it's uh, probably it the hat. mutual. Okay, I'm just wondering like how long I would have to stand there before I recognize somebody I knew. Like, uh-huh. Statistically anyway. speaking, in New York, in this area, you yeah. have probably high resolution, high gr- sense of granularity on that. It's it's after work, so what you know, 30, 30 minutes tops. Yeah, probably. Uh, I, I was going to ask you, you know, so so in this era of of you know, of franchising in this area of era of um, you know always on entertainment. You know, what do you what do you bring? To, what do you specifically bring to the table in terms of live performances that people can't necessarily, you know, can't necessarily get on YouTube, can't get on Spotify. I mean, especially if, in a sense, you're kind of, you know, it's your job to repurpose that music, right? Yeah. Well, I, there is absolutely nothing that I could not do remotely, like. <laughs> I meetings you don't need to be there anymore DJing you don't need to be there anymore the whole idea of people, human beings sweating and dancing and hanging out at a big concert or a party you don't need to be there anymore but you're right there's still that sense of physicality and physical sense of relating to other human beings around you festivals there's more festivals than ever and um yeah <laughs> we're, I, I should this is probably a good time to bring up the fact that we're in Union Square right now which is why you're hearing what you're hearing in yeah. the background we are uh, watching pageantry of humanity go by. There's uh, every possible style of people, literally. Is this what is this what keeps bringing you back to back to New York? It's the mega mix. Yeah. Yeah. You travel the world. You've been to Antarctica. You're going to be in what, by all accounts, is a very very beautiful part of Australia. And I'm wondering. No, no, of uh, Vanuatu. Oh, and it's I'm, a separate group of islands. I see. But it's the it's the former it's the daughter of the former prime minister of Australia. Yeah. The, well. It'd be like saying if somebody bought property in like the Bahamas. It's the Bahamas is a three-hour flight. Okay. Um, it's kind of like that to Australia. Yeah. It's a separate nation that's made of eighty-three islands in the middle of the South Pacific. It was a former English colony, and it will not be this noisy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and, and that's my my question ultimately because this is, this is something I I keep coming back to, especially as I'm you know traveling around the country, going to places like you know San Francisco, um, Seattle places like that and, and and I keep asking myself what, what brings me back here I mean you know we, we saw uh, right across from us there's a, a woman who's very clearly living out of her her wheelie bag um, yeah so you had said you don't know why uh, you know why, why why people with no means would, would live here and kind of wondering sometimes why people with means do live here yeah uh, well okay this is a getting to a deeper question which is the role of cities and uh, one of my favorite writers for this is a uh, guy, Richard Florida. And cities are catalyzers of mat- radical change, radical innovation. And the density of the urban landscape here is just so over the top. Why not, you know? And I would rather have people living in cities because it's much more in, like about creating sustainable processes. If you have everyone living in a suburban context, it's just a mess. So you can a little bit of a mess here too, yeah. uh, audibly at least. No, I mean, there's nothing as harmful as the American front lawn to global warming. Seriously, mm. by the way, it's there's a really good museum show about the, the the front lawn and the suburban quality of having the 
the, the kind of grass that we put out there and things like that, and then putting pesticides and yeah. you know how many lawns do that every year? The, you know, cutting the grass. But but I mean, it sounds like what you're getting at is that the primary thing keeping you in cities is this question of, of su- sustainability. Yeah, it's an, it's an environmental issue. Definitely. Um, I actually plan on you know I have my, my studio is in Tribeca. I'm going to be working with a lot of solar energy over the next year or so around um, the project in Vanuatu. Plus, um, you know, having been to Antarctica, my next couple projects are about ocean currents. So when I'm going to be taking the sound of different ocean currents and making beats and elements out of it, um, stuff like that. And at the same time, you know, I was just artist in residence at the Met Museum. All of that is about the way the city concentrates creativity, yeah. and the the web has done that exponentially. And all these creative voices are comparing notes. So that I mean, so there's a social aspect to it. I've got to imagine too, and you know, there's and, and it's, there's just the, the fact that people. I mean, again, as we said, you can do all this communication online, but I mean, this is this is better, right? It's better. It's better meeting up with people in, in person, and I mean, certainly that's something New York New York gives you. Yeah, without question. But the sound of the city, I mean, whenever you think... There's actually artists who are doing what you call data mining or big data analysis of how cities work, like the flow of traffic, the real-time sense of airplanes flying overhead, and turning those into compositions. Yeah. Um, And the data aesthetic right now, you can actually see the pattern of the city from so many different angles. I love the idea of the complexity of it all. Um, And I go to Japan a lot, like Tokyo's incredible, Beijing... Um, I'm not saying that I'm a fan of the pollution that cities engender, but I also think that we're we're looking at building code that's been for the 19th century made of bricks and mortar. Yeah. Meanwhile, um, this whole wireless imagination that the web is kind of upgraded. You know, it's just it's it's two impossible metaphors layered over an impossible reality. <laughs> this brings up a, a, an interesting, but I, I guess in a sense totally unrelated question. But you know, as we're talking about doing compositions based on you know things like like the tides and you know certainly you you've, you've worked in in ideas like that you know doing like sort of algorithmic compositions um things based around nature science earth and i'm wondering you know if, if you're kind of um in a sense maybe getting away from some some fundamental idea about music about just making it as you know, as as enjoyable or you know or as possible. If you're if you're if you're putting that sort of thought into it, I mean, does that does that get away from this other really important thing about music? Yeah, music is where human beings hit the reset button on their whole emotional architecture, you know. And the architecture of modern life is about overload at every level, and just you know, swimming through the density of information around us. That's cool. Music allows you to finally just get away from it just a, just a little bit. But for me, music isn't music, it's information. So it's okay. just another component of our information economy, our information society. Um, but, but the question, but, but, but I guess the question then is, you know, you know, if I'm going to a club to dance, do, do I want to hear be the algorithms? to the algorithms of the tides? There are people doing the project, new parties in, in England called Algo Raves, where they set up their computers to read the body language using visual optic, you know, character recognition analysis, stuff like that. Yeah. So the body and motion capture, the camera, like, you can do that on your Y, you know, or Xbox, where you, your movement and your dance, like, they have dancing videos where you're, you have an avatar that you're dancing with. Um, and the software slowly reads what style of music people in the room like and huh. uh, makes beats and elements out of it to the point where it's, they're just dancing and hanging yeah. out. 
um, but with no DJ at all. The computer yeah. is just playing tones and and you, you know Stephen Wolfram. He did Wolfram yeah, Mathematics. Yeah, sure. He has uh, a website where he has rendered every possible style of music into different algorithms. Uh, so if you want a hip hop track or techno or reggae or classical, he he's done st- massive statistical analysis of what makes up that genre and made it into algorithms for each style. Hmm. It's a pretty. It's called Wolfram Tones. Yeah. Do, do, does that potentially take some of the enjoyment out of <laughs> out of being a consumer of, of music? Out of you know out of, I mean you know again I know I keep getting back I keep hammering this idea but you know is is that you know it, when you're presenting music like that are you, are you presenting music that somebody wants to sit at their desk and you know put on Spotify or are you presenting music in the way that you would uh, a painting in a museum that you would kind of go and look at and 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 try to assess analytically. Well, there's two things that work. Human beings, we are creatures of algorithm. I mean, if you look at Spotify, if you look at Radio or any of the major, you know, Grace Note database, Shazam, yeah. you name it, everybody's putting their tastes and they're, it's being optimized to find out what's best for you or your style. But you're going to be putting that, you know, what Eli Parser like to call the bubble filter because you're, you're only seeing what you already know. Um, or being optimized to, so that the next song matches the song you just heard and the, the next song after that. But you're right. Is that emotional? It's actually mathematically proven, uh, statistically verifiable, that people's taste is, is algorithmic. And, you know, Amazon.com, collaborative filtering, if you like this that you just bought, you might like that, you might like that. And the search recommendations come, become more and more fine-tuned. So that's just a mega mix. It's DJing using all aspects of information. The cool thing about it and this is something where I think you probably would find it funny, is that emotion is intuitive. We think, like, I'll give you, you go to a grocery store, you're not going to go to the longest line, you're going to do a quick scan, and you've just automatically (coughs) detected which is the shortest line. You want to get through the line and get out. You know, it's counterintuitive to go to the longest line and wait, even if you just glance. So we're just making that mathematical. Um, I'm a huge fan of Stephen Wolfram. Raymond Kurzweil, you know, he's the visionary residence at Google, or, or Jaron Lanier, they're all radically different perspectives. Uh, Jaron Lanier's last book was called You're Not a Tool, you know, uh, and he did this sort of long rant against technology. I mean, I, I guess I wonder, you know, like a Ray Kurzweil, for example, what does he listen to when he goes out? <laughs> because, you know, because, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and certainly um, all of these... Uh, the, these pieces of software we're using are, are algorithmic. Are using, you know, pure you know databases and, and and pure computation to help us decide what music we're listening to. But the vast majority of that music ultimately, um, you know, is is created by a human being. Yeah. Um, well, maybe not. If you go to Japan, there's bands called sure. Iduru that are just bands made of video, you know, stuff that they're singing, and even yeah. the voices are synthesized. So I love stuff like but that. Some, but somebody's probably pushing a button somewhere. Somebody, you right, know, somebody's Wizard of Oz somewhere. Yeah. Well, yeah, or even, even, you know, even, even I guess less directly than that. You know, somebody's, somebody's picking the avatars. You know, somebody's, <laughs> somebody's probably designing the music. And and this is, this is part of like a larger question. You know, we were, um, we did a music episode for Engadget recently, and we spoke to. Um, uh, there's a professor out in Santa Cruz who has been creating computer-generated music since, like, the 60s. Right? Oh, I saw that episode. Yeah, yeah. Cool. David Cope, you know, like, Pushcart mm-hmm. started with that. You know, and, and, it, and there's, there's a really deep question, and, and I certainly haven't figured out the answer. I don't know. You know, I'm sure that you've got some insight into it, but um, ultimately, how important is it that, that a human being is, is making 
the decisions. You know, is yeah. is is a Bach concerto versus a Bach concerto that was created on a computer using you know inputs from Bach's back catalog is one inherently better than the other. Personally, at this point, I best you most people will be hard pressed to tell. Yeah. And there's a kind of like there's a easy ease of listening to music that people seem to not necessarily think about. But the, when, if you're a composer or a programmer, I don't really view that much as a difference. You're selecting, you know, what I call coded culture. Um, the code and the culture are not separate. It's just how you make it, whatever style you you feel like. So when you're saying a human being doing it, I, you know, at this point it's 2013. I bet you. I mean, within five years or so. Yeah, I mean the gorillas model of virtual bands, um, the the whole idea that multimedia is now our basic vocabulary. This is going to get deeper and it's going to get weirder. I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of um, bands like Atari Teenage Riot. You know, in the '90s, they're yeah. hilarious. Uh, I'm a big fan of video turntablism. There's a eclectic method. There's this one group that does video scratching. Sure, sure. out here know, in uh, New York, and that's old school at this point. They've been you know, yeah. so it's been almost eight to ten years. So, next step is, I think, global stuff using, like, geography and, again, like, being across... I wanna, my, I'm going to do a batch of compositions for drones, actually, this autumn, uh, where drone, you can control them from your iPad or, you know, and they make sound, like, wh- the whirring of the fan. Yeah. One of my favorite composers is um, Carl Heinz Stockhausen, and he had this piece called Helicopter String Quartet, where he had the audience sit in the middle of a football field and had four helicopters surround it. And the helicopters would rise and fall in different kinds of sequences. Mm-hmm. And um, it made this crazy kind of sound, you know, because it's very loud. But the audience was in the middle and was being, you know, getting these crazy tones. Um, I love stuff like that. But it's super conceptual. Your average person just wants to press play, yeah. hear music that they vaguely draw inspiration from, and keep it simple. As, as, a, as a music creator, though, does, does this idea worry you <laughs> that at some point that... You're not going to be needed, to, you know. You're not going to need to put the the vinyl on the turntable. You're not going to be needed to make these decisions. That maybe it'll just be self-generating in the not too distant future. It's already there. Yeah, you know, it's just called DJ Spotify. You know, but the fun part about it is, you're right. I mean, there needs to be the perception that there's a human being, hmm. and that's where you, there's this term called the uncanny valley. Yeah, where if something is just familiar enough, it kind of gets really eerie. Um, and there's this guy in Japan named Meiwa Denke. You know, he's a roboticist who builds breakdancing robots and stuff. They're, like, totally wild. Um, he's a master robot builder. And, again, Japan being Japan, it's totally over the top. Here, I'll show you what his stuff looks like. He's one of my favorites. So he builds crazy robots and sings with them. So those are some oh, of yeah. robots. It's like Devo the next generation, yeah, right? Yeah. Devo meets, yeah. like, crazy Japanese. That's great. But, the, but these are things that people are going to for the spectacle of watching a guy. Of watching, there's, so this is a, I mean, so we've we got to explain this because mm-hmm. this, this is all audio, but it's a, a tree full of about six acoustic guitars. Yeah, but they're controlled from a keyboard, and the keyboard is making these kind of weird robotic hands go yeah. up and down and pluck the yeah. strings. So he's one of my favorites. This is a, a robot that t- does tap dancing shoes. Um, you know. It's just totally over-the-top Japanese stuff. Yeah. And he can control many robots simultaneously, so most of his concerts are him sitting there with a crazy laptop and yeah. making all this machinery on stage go crazy. 
and he's he's made iPad apps now that you can control robots and stuff. I, I do like this as the alternative <laughs> to to what to one guy standing on stage. So that's him with all these guitars. Yeah, but but this is this is like in in a sense, isn't it? Isn't this um, a reaction to? single guy standing on stage in front of a uh, MacBook just pressing buttons? Well, no. I mean, look what happened with Kraftwerk just recently. They, they did a comeback tour and they launched at MoMA. They, have you seen the Kraftwerk 3D tour? I, I'm not, not not in person, but... Kraftwerk's no, legendary for electronic yeah. music and it's like German, minimalist stuff. Yeah, they're, they're button pushers. Yeah, but that's hip. You know, I think it's totally cool. Yeah. It's, no, it's no problem. Um, for me... I'm just like, look, man, if it's cool and interesting, be open. I mean, I like rock, I like hip-hop, I like techno, I like dubstep. I, mean, I don't really have... A, I'm not that partisan. It's mm-hmm. more like, is it interesting? Um, like, I like Bass Nectar. He does great dubstep. I like uh, Tribe Called Quest. They're one of my favorite hip-hop groups. Sure. Uh, j- today I was in this crazy Jay-Z video, and uh, they had half the art world going, you know, like making hip-hop vibes. And it was just like really, biz- really bizarre. But... That's the point. It's like all of the above. Why not? You know. Yeah, I'm. I'm just. You know, I'm, I'm looking at something like that, and I'm thinking that probably. I mean, I, again, I haven't heard the music. It could be great, but the main thing of that is is the novelty, is the spectacle, right? Music right. is almost secondary. Yeah. So, but music always has been kind of secondary because it's the social process that's first and foregrounded, and I think that's critical to remember as we move more and more into a digital media context that we have to think about how algorithms condition us and how we then condition the algorithms. And if you look at the NSA stuff with Snowden, what's fascinating is that he... um, I wonder what he could have done with some of that data as a composition, you know, because he's... (laughs) You know, the sheer volume of documenting everything. Yeah. I mean, they have algorithms for flagging, you know, if you say whatever or... So you think potentially the NSA could be making some of the most beautiful music out there because they've got more information than anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. DJ NSA. That's funny. Like, would would people be as upset about collecting all this personal information if they were just making beautiful orchestras? Well, that's that's (laughs) what the Matrix kind of kicks in because... I mean, they're, you know, they had this whole thing of pre-crime. I don't know if you ever saw Minority Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, so they're doing that. predictive algorithms yeah. for crime. But why not do predictive algorithms uh, for music composition, you know? So they're already doing it, though. That's yeah. where Stephen Wolfram is. So, But even beyond that, it's, it's you know, I mean, that's long been... I, I, you know, that's that's been kind of the, um, the, the, the golden egg for... Um, for the music industry, for anybody involved in culture, is predictive algorithms, right? It's to figure out... It's to figure out what's next because right, yeah. t- you know, too often it ends up being them trying to duplicate what it, what has come before. And if you can crack the code, if, if you can figure out what's next, then you're then you the make first a to lot it. of money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's these are these are very interesting times, and having an intuition of the the ebb and flow of culture, um, it's kind of like the American. We 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 helped make the modern world: credit cards, uh, instantaneous checking. Um, you know, you know, you name it. The American imagination is—we're good at this. But I think what happened is um, there's been this eerie sense that it's too much, and the right wing and all those guys want to take culture back to like some, you know, Mitt Romney who's an android from like 1950 or something, you know. And it's just not happening. It's, it's a—it's a wishful dream. Yeah, but 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 you know, certainly I, I, I can understand. Um and not from a not from a political standpoint, not certainly not from a moral standpoint, but from the standpoint of 
you know, sometimes I just want to see some 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 people on stage with guitars. No, that's true right? too. <laughs> but nobody that doesn't mean the guitars are going away. It's yeah. all it's it's all simultaneous. And I think everybody's style right now is spread their tastes are spread throughout all these different styles. Um, most the playlist killed the album, no question. Yeah. And the album as we knew it it's now a video single on YouTube or something where people are just getting their first taste of all of the different styles. They're, you know, like the guy Psy or the, the Harlem Shake song, you know? Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, those are all kind of resonant with the way that I'm talking about it. Personally, yeah. I just am bored with it, but I know a lot of people are really into it. I mean, it says something about us as a culture when a K-pop person can come by and can be universally accepted, right? Yeah. I mean, that means we've all changed in a sense. I think the him and MC Hammer doing the the, um, the Gangnam Dun style video was one yeah. of my favorite <laughs> uh, moments of um, global bugged outness. But just just one by way of closure, sure, sure. Some of the best music I've ever heard was just in in uh, Antarctica when I was walking and watching these massive ice fields and thinking about the sound of ice because it's. Uh, it has all these resonance frequencies. It's got all this stuff going, and it's getting louder and louder as the world's yes, getting hotter goes. and hotter, right? Sure. <laughs> so, m- metaphors and layers. It's, some of my favorite composers, um, like Steve Reich, uh, like John Cage, sure. they think about minimalism. They think about abstraction. Um, I'm, I'm just wondering for our generation how composers are going to be responding to digital overload. Yeah, and 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 you know, and and obviously somebody. I mean, the, the the silent track has already been done, right? So that statement's already been made. Right. So what, what is the next version of that? Uh, you do the opposite. You see how many songs you can put in the space of four seconds. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, the, 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 to me, like, the, the one, one of the really... In a sense, to me, it's troubling... Um, have you have you have you have you seen that meme that's been going around for the past couple of years? It's been on Boing Boing a bunch of times where somebody will take a Justin Bieber track and slow it down four hundred times, and it sounds like a Sigur Rose track. Yeah, well, and that makes you just that makes you just question music. That makes yeah. you question your relationship with music, the creativity of music. Yeah, all of the above. And the beautiful thing about that is playfulness and irreverence that needs to be celebrated. I mean. Too many people, I think, are, con- are conditioned by this idea. Like, copyright law isn't just about ownership of motifs and elements. It's it's about, like, creating a very se- segmented and sequestered market for ideas. Um, and I think we need to explode that. I, I released my most recent album uh, as a project, just as limited limited edition, um, on Gem Indo. And we had 200,000 hits and um, downloads or whatever, listens, in just a couple days. Um, and it was just all about different versions of The Sound of Ice. Um, so I've had a great run with this stuff, and I'm very respectful of of information, not just as a passive thing, but to, to use it to change things. All right, there you go. That was uh, Paul DJ Spooky Miller. Always, always a pleasure to speak with Paul. Uh, I should mention right off the top, or you know, at the top of the bottom, that uh, the entirety of that conversation was recorded in Union Square in Manhattan, which is why you were hearing all this. Uh, people and, and fire trucks and other noises in the background, but really, what better place than uh, than a crowded New York City park uh, to talk about things like the nature of cities and societies and, uh, and things like that? Um, uh, Paul has a new book out right now. It's called Book of Ice. It's about his uh, the time that he spent in Antarctica. Um, really, he's got he's got too many projects, I think, to, to mention here. Um, actually, I should mention that uh, that I did go to uh, an event that he threw on Sunday. It was a benefit for. Um, the uh, 
uh, Vanatu Pacifica Foundation. So um, he, along with uh, several other other uh, people, like five organizations in total, are uh, trying to create this uh, self-sustainable uh, uh, artistic space. Um, so you know that's definitely worth checking out. You can, you can find uh, more information on his site. Uh, also, I should mention at the party that he was, you know, in, in kind of um, typical DJ spooky fashion, which was he was uh, he was he was DJing on one side and then kind of running around and, and introducing various people to each other for the duration of the party. So I met like a guy who makes uh, microscopes and also is a, um, a free jazz pianist. Uh, met a dude who's making music with cicadas. Uh, met a woman who runs a, a big solar foundation. Uh, you know, good good things happen when you're when you're in the company of, of DJ Spooky. So huge thanks to Paul. Um, thanks as always to uh, to Brian for for editing this thing down. Um, thanks to Mark and everybody else at Boing Boing for for hosting the show. Uh, thank you for listening to the show. If you like what you heard, uh, please rate us on iTunes. You can you can send us some feedback. It's riylcast at gmail dot com. Uh, follow us on Tumblr, riylcast.tumblr.com. Uh, See, it's easy. I managed to secure two of the same same username on, on, on different platforms. Uh, got in early, and therefore it was, was, was very successful. Uh, got lots of good shows coming up. I uh, got a trio of interviews uh, with folks uh, in, in Portland. Uh, Dave Allen of Gang of Four. Um, uh, spoke to a zinester Mar- Martha Grover out there uh, Nicole George a zinester and, and cartoonist um, spoke to Lisa Hanawald a cartoonist out here gonna be speaking to uh, to Kim Deitch a lot of cartoonists coming up hope you, hope you like comic books because we got a lot of comic books coming up uh, so stick around we've got another episode coming up in, in about a week so we'll uh, I'll see you then 